Jeremiah chapter 23. Last week we, we began the chapter in verses 1 through 8. Considering not only the fact that the shepherds of Judah and Jerusalem were... the causes of the judgment that was to come upon Judah. But we were also encouraged by the very fact that God gave a strong message of his regathering of of God's people of Israel and Judah and brought about the hope that we haven't seen much of throughout this study of Jeremiah. Though we will see it throughout the book as we come to chapter 23 verse 9 the expansion of, of the of the problem as the Lord through Jeremiah brings out uh, others such as the priests and the prophets and their responsibility in what has taken place becomes very clear to us. Verse 9 says, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. This is Jeremiah speaking. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of His holy words. Jeremiah has has experienced a tremendous uh, weight and burden upon his heart to the extent of being so uh, thrown out of balance and and, and burdened to, to that extent because of what is to take place to Judah and the reason is very clear because of the Lord and because of his words. The judgment that is to come. Verse 10, For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil. And their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. The very opposite of that which is to be sanctified and sacred, they had become profane, worldly, humanistic, and that is the priest and the prophet. For both priest and prophet are profane, yes, in my house. I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. In the very temple, God says, the wickedness has taken place. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery waves. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall in them. For I will bring disaster on them the year of their punishment, says the Lord. It is as if they have come to a very slippery place completely in darkness 
with no way to sustain their balances. They would completely fall and it would be disastrous. You've probably heard it said that pro-choice people don't like abortion. They're just trying to help a woman facing tragedy. You've probably heard some people say that. I'm going to repeat it because I want you to catch the drift of what I'm talking about tonight. You've probably heard it said that pro-choice people don't like abortion. They're just trying to help a woman facing tragedy. If that is truly the case, then let me share with you the repetitious chant of the Reverend Catherine Hancock Ragsdale at some pro-choice rally in 2007, inciting the crowd uh, that was before her to something more than a pro-choice position. And I quote, these are her words, the Reverend Catherine Hancock Ragsdale. Abortion is a blessing and our work is not done. Let me hear you say it. Abortion is a blessing and our work is not done. Abortion is a blessing and our work is not done. Abortion is a blessing and our work is not done. The Reverend Ragsdale, the Reverend Ragsdale, clarified her position. And she said, and I quote, When a woman becomes pregnant with a loving, supportive, respectful relationship, has every option open to her, decides she does not wish to bear a child, and has access to safe, affordable abortion, there is not a tragedy in sight, only blessing. And I highlighted this in my notes so that I can say it as strongly as I highlighted it. The ability to enjoy God's good gift of sexuality without compromising one's education, life's work, or ability to put to use God's gifts and call is simply blessing. End quote. The Reverend Ragsdale, Catherine Hancock Ragsdale, by the way, if the uh, hate crimes bill was already enacted, I'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't I? This so-called reverend calls the abortionists and their assistants, escorts and lobbyists, she calls them heroes and saints in her eyes, and that they are engaged in, and I quote, holy work. The reason for the Reverend Ragsdale being in the news is that she is scheduled to become president of Episcopal Divinity School in July of this year. This same person stated in an Easter sermon in 2003 that the resurrection may never have happened. The year before that, Easter 2002, she is quoted as saying, the suffering and death of Jesus, according to the theory of atonement, pays for our sins and buys our salvation. It's an interesting theory, but not one that I find compelling.
So let's forget what Paul said when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, or as it says in the King James, the most miserable. You know, I've spent the time here profiling this person to present to you the definition of a classic but modern false prophet. In what we call the church. In what we are supposed to call the world of Christendom. Not necessarily the true church. Not necessarily the true church of Jesus Christ. And the world of Christendom is replete with these false prophets. But this is just one example of the challenge that the true church of Jesus Christ faces in these last days. And my heart breaks with Jeremiah when I read about people like her who consider their mission in life to be centered around their ungodly agenda and push it upon people under the guise of Christian spirituality, which brings to mind other statements by the Apostle Paul who said in 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 3, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons. Everything I read to you that this woman has said are doctrines of demons, by the way. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. By the way, I didn't mention how proud she is of her own sexual orientation, which I wouldn't have to mention to you what it is. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, the Apostle Paul said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal. I would say abortion is pretty brutal. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Paul said to Titus in Titus 1 verses 15 and 16, he said to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. There it is. They profess to know God, But in works they deny Him, being abominable. We're not talking about snowmen here. Being abominable. A little later on we're going to mention Sodom and Gomorrah. That was abominable. Being abominable, disobedient, 
and disqualified for every good work. Or what are the words of Jesus Christ Himself who said in Luke 21 verse 8, and He said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in My name saying, I am He, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. Oh, i got to tell you, I was pretty upset when I read about this person. I began to wonder how Jeremiah felt. How Jeremiah felt when he heard the words of the Lord. The judgment was coming upon Judah because of their sins and their rebellion and their disobedience. Jeremiah knew the pain of this rebellion long before we ever did. If you were pained by what you heard, Jeremiah knew that pain long before we did. The section of chapter 23 that we're studying tonight does bear its own title, by the way. It's in verse 9, where it says, Because of the prophets... Or in some translations concerning the prophets. Jeremiah 23, 9, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man and like a man whom wine is overcome because of the Lord and because of His holy words. Not only because of what the prophets have done, but because of what God has to do because of their sin and rebellion. From verse 9. To the end of the chapter, we won't get there tonight, we'll only go down to verse 24. But from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, this whole section forms a complete prophecy which is summarized by God Himself in a passage that we have studied previously. That's in Jeremiah 14, verse 14 and 15. The Lord said to me, Jeremiah is saying, The Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. Think about that for just a moment. God says of these prophets, I have not sent them, I have not commanded them, I have not spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. You see, the true prophet like Jeremiah, the true prophet uh, knows how serious, and I should say knew then and knows now, But the true prophet knew how serious it was to be called by God to proclaim His Word and accepted their responsibility with fear and trembling. It should be no different today. It should be no different today to know how serious it is to be called by God to proclaim His Word. New Testament. Let me get three passages in the New Testament. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. This is New Testament. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
That's what I fear when I come up to this pulpit every time I do. Because I do not want to wrongly divide God's Word. I want to rightly divide God's Word for you. I don't want to lead anyone astray. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This is New Testament. That last phrase is also from the Old Testament. But it's Bible, folks. It's God's Word. That we need to come before God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. Because our God is a consuming fire. And I am one who believes, and I believe that you believe this also, that if the Bible says that God never changes, He's the same always, and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then if He doesn't change, then this is as true today as it was then. Our God is a consuming fire. In James chapter 3, verse 1, He says, My brethren, let, me, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So when these prophets, the true prophets of God, when true prophets of God would observe those self-styled prophets, and i got to tell you, there are a lot of self-styled prophets today. But when the true prophets of God observe those self-styled prophets living sinful and living wretched lives, it obviously grieved them as it did Jeremiah. Let's look at what he says in verse 10. He says, for the land is full of adulterers. Now, that is really pointing to their idolatry. But their spiritual idolatry was as much spiritual adultery because they were supposed to be married to God, not married to the things of the world. Or not, you know, uh, you know going off unfaithfully from God to the things of the world or to the idols of the world. The idols of the pagan people. The land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. And what should have been pleasant places, as he explains here, the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, speaking of those prophets, and their might is not, is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I found their wickedness, says the Lord. In the temple. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall in them, for I will bring disaster on them. The year of their punishment, says the Lord. The false prophets, you see, the false prophets were unfaithful to the Lord in that they were attached to pagan deities. That was their adultery. They were way off course in their direction. And they were only strong in doing wrong. Their might was not right. They were only strong in doing wrong. A couple of little poems there to help you out. Seeing the evil of the time. 
Their might was not right there. They were only strong in doing wrong. And the proof of their corruption was the curse that the land was experiencing due to their departing from the Mosaic Covenant. They had not kept the covenant. You see, the God that they were worshipping, generally speaking, it was the God Baal, or Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L. The God that they were worshipping, listen to this, the God they were worshipping was supposed to produce fertility. Was supposed to give them fruitful land. But worshipping Him had only resulted in the pleasant places of the wilderness being dried up. In other words, the land was parched, the land was withered. The land was no good. And in verse 11, the Lord stated that both the priests and the prophets were polluted. Profane. Polluted with unfaithfulness as adulterous people. The prophets and the priests... What is sad is that, of all places, they practice their wickedness and evil in the temple, where they should have been faithful to the Lord. They weren't even faithful there. It makes you wonder about any buildings that are church buildings. Is God being worshipped there? Or is God being profaned there? I hope and pray with all my heart that this place will always be the place of worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And never anyone or anything else. And so in verse 12, the Lord would make them unstable. And allow them to fall into perilous situations. The Bible talks often of slippery ways. And God doing it to those who have not followed Him right. Psalm 35 verse 6, Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. Or Psalm 73 verses 18 and 19, where it says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. I don't, I don't think people want to mess with God. I don't think people need to mess with God. I don't think they should mess with God. Especially people who say they're believers in Jesus Christ. Especially those who say that they have some connection to God. Whether by title or by preference. I think this would be appropriate for the day of prayer tomorrow, the National Day of Prayer. Warren Wiersbe writes this, he says, Whenever a nation needs healing, whenever a nation needs healing, it's usually because God's people aren't obeying and serving Him as they should. We like to blame dishonest politicians and various purveyors of pleasure for a nation's decline in morality, but God blames His own people. And then he quotes from Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land.
The Apostle Peter says the judgment, if judgment first begins in the house of God, what's going to happen to those who are not in the house of God? You see, God's serious about us being right before the world. Being right in Christ before the world. Now, Christianity is not a game. Christianity is not a political pawn, though some people are trying to make it that today. I better get going with Judah. Because the next prophecy compares the prophets of the southern kingdom of Judah to the prophets of the obsolete northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom had already been taken into captivity by Assyria, but now there's a comparison of the two kingdoms. And the prophets, I should say, of the two kingdoms. Jeremiah 23, verse 13. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. Samaria having had been the capital of the northern kingdoms of Israel. I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. Translation, I have seen foolishness in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal or Baal and caused my people Israel to err. But then he says in verse 14, Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. And when you study that phrase, a horrible thing, a little bit close, more, more closely in the Hebrew, you realize that what he's saying, that the things that the, 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 the prophets and priests of Judah were doing was even worse than those in Israel, in the northern kingdom. So he says, also I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. And the reference to adultery not only means their adulteries as far as being unfaithful to God and worshiping idols, it also includes adultery itself. They commit adultery, they walk in lies. And again, the lies are the prophecies that they were giving to the people. They also strengthen the hand of evildoers. In other words, where they see someone doing things that, that, that they were approving of, boy, they would push them on and say, hey, that's great. You got yourself a nice uh, acacia grove to worship in. Keep building it up. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. The point is that they were telling them, yeah, go ahead and keep sinning. Not, hey, you know what, maybe you ought to not sin and come back to God. But if they weren't doing it, certainly the people weren't going to do it either. So then he says, all of them are like Sodom to me. Now are you getting somewhat of a greater picture of what it means to have an abomination before the Lord? All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. It kind of gives you a little picture. All of them are like Sodom to me, the prophets and the priests, and the inhabitants are like Gomorrah, swept up by their leadership into wickedness. Swept up into, or swept up by the leadership into wickedness, not away from wickedness. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. Profaneness. 
Sometimes the word profanity enters our mind when we hear the word profane or profaneness. Well, they're related. Profanity. It's the way the world speaks. They do not speak in a sanctified, proper way. And I think that we can all agree that what we see and hear on TV and in the music of today, young people are listening to, that it is not just uh, sprinkled here and there with a little bit of profanity, but it is completely saturated with profanity. Those of you who may have been or are in public school or government school situations realize that, and if you've been there any amount of time, you realize that it's only gotten worse in the minds and the mouths of the kids. And they use profanity as if it's what you say just on a daily basis, even in your own home. I ran across that in 1986 when I was resigning to go full-time in the ministry. That was man, 23 years ago. But the profanity itself is only just, a, uh, is just a, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the profaneness of heart. Boy, and you talk about separation of church and state. It's like they just want to drive, you know, a luxury liner right between them without even understanding what that little message is that really wasn't put into the Constitution. And they've misinterpreted the Constitution. The world has in our country. You know, what I said earlier, I wasn't joking. They had the hate crimes bill already been enacted. And, you know, I'm sure there are microphones all over. Good, I'll say it louder. I don't hate that lady. I don't hate that woman. I want her lover to Jesus Christ. Because she's far from Christ. But I just was a little bit too politically incorrect tonight well I don't care about that I care about God's truth I care about where this country is going and we've got to get our head out of the sand we need to start praying This hate crimes bill. It's gotten so complex and so convoluted that it is quite possible 
that pedophiles could be protected by. Just what we needed to hear this morning when we were eating our Wheaties. So, because the prophets of the northern kingdom of Israel had worshipped Baal and led the nation astray, the Lord would allow Assyria to conquer them and take them into captivity. But now the southern kingdom failed to learn the lessons they should have and would itself be carried into captivity, this time to Babylon. Now Judah would be judged under a greater responsibility. Listen, Judah would be judged under a greater responsibility for not having learned that lesson. And because they committed greater adulterous sins and supported evildoers, they were now likened by God to Sodom and to Gomorrah, deserving the judgment of those cities. And you know what the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah was. One commentator writes this. He says, at this time, all kinds of prophets were emerging in Judah. The people were sinning and rebelling. They were opposed to the Lord. Listen, they were opposed to the Lord. They were, committed, they were committed to a course of idolatry, yet prophets were speaking their own minds. Oh, how this sounds like today. Prophets speaking their own minds and not the Word of God. Look at verse 16 of our text. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Now, by the way, some believe that this particular prophecy was given during the time of Jehoiakim, uh, the king. So, so here it says, don't, don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. Notice, the words of those prophets would make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. You see, that's the, that's the prophecy of, of, of the false prophet. You're going to have peace. We're going to be, all, we're going to be a lot better off now. Really? No evil's going to come upon you. Oh, everything's going to get better. Really? How many of you remember? Let's see, there might be a few of you. I remember this song years ago? It's your thing. Do what you want to do. You remember that song? It's your thing. Do what you want to do. You guys remember, right? How many remember that song? Come on. How many dance to that song? Come on, be honest. Yeah, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. You know, it has been confirmed in a number of ways that doing your own thing in opposition to doing things God's way will in the long run make you worthless. I want to state, I want to state that again. It has been confirmed in a number of ways that doing your own thing in opposition to doing things God's way will in the long run, in the long run, make you worthless. And all because someone spoke a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. 
And when these false prophets continue to say to people who already despise the Lord, listen people, the Lord says you shall have peace. Oh, listen, don't worry. Do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live. He made you that way. So celebrate your freedom of choice. Celebrate your sexuality however you want because you're going to be blessed no matter what. It makes you wonder, what Lord are they referring to? Because I'll tell you this, it isn't the Lord God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. It is not the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is not the Lord who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to take upon Himself flesh and to die for the sins of men. It is not the Lord, that Lord, when they say, Oh, listen, the Lord wants you to have peace. He wants you to live however you want. So instead of peace, a storm was brewing from the Lord Himself. Look at verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard His word? Who has marked His word and heard it? Now stop there for just a moment. It's really the next verse that I, I want to get to. But, but consider verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard His word? You know, if you hear the word of the Lord, are you going to mark what He says? If you really hear the word of the Lord, are you going to mark, remember, bookmark? You understand what I'm saying? When God says something, are you going to remember it in your heart and in your mind and in your, and in your being? That's what God is asking. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard His word? Who has marked His word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury. A violent whirlwind. Those who sow to the wind shall reap what? The whirlwind. And that is what is being spoken here. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has executed and performed the thoughts of His heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. By the way, that last phrase is interesting. In the latter days, you'll understand it perfectly when it's too late. Pretty much what it's kind of saying. Last days you'll understand it perfectly, but for some of you it might be too late. So none of these false prophets had ever stood in the secret counsel of the Lord. Verse 18. They had never stood in the secret counsels of the Lord. Folks, let, let me reiterate here what I, what I say many, many, many times to you about staying in God's Word, staying in prayer. When you stay in prayer, stay in God's Word as well. Keep your Bible open. Keep, your, you know, keep yourself right there with what God is going to say to you. I know I sound like a broken CD. No, a broken record. I don't know what to say anymore. I say a broken record. Some people say, what's that? But they, the false prophets have never, never, never stood in the secret counsels of the Lord. At best, at best they went through the motions of spirituality, leaving, uh, I should say, learning their traditions, learning rites and rituals and ceremonies, only to place them secondarily in regards to their priorities. Their top priority being the dictates of their own hearts. 
So there are people today, let's say, take for example, there's, there's some agnostic or atheistic uh, Jewish people who go through all of the motions of, of keeping Passover and you know, going to synagogue you know, on, on certain days, but they don't believe in God. Because their priority is, is their dictates of their own heart. But it can be the same way in the church. That you can go to church, you can you know, go through the motions, you know, even the language, the lingo as they say, you know, praise the Lord, pass the sauce, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. But you can leave and never once have entered into the secret counsels and the sweet secret counsels of the Lord. But at worst, they followed the pattern of the ungodly. As David describes in Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You ever notice a pattern there? Walking, standing, sitting. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners in the sense of standing along with them, nor sitting. The sitting is finally saying, I'm settled here. Settled in the seat of the scornful. Keep walking with the Lord. Don't stand. Don't be like the curious. What's going on here? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep walking with the Lord. Jump down to verse 4. It says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, they're not going to stand in the judgment because they're going to be wiped away. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's clear. Bottom line. The way of the ungodly shall perish. So these prophets and priests fail to hear and to fully accept the, world, the whole counsel of God's word. We've been studying in, in, in the book of Acts on, on Sunday mornings what Paul is saying about having not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God's word to the people in Ephesus. But here these prophets and priests who have gone through all the motions, as it were, fail to hear and to fully accept the whole counsel of God's word. And what they didn't realize was that God meant what he said when he gave them his holy word. And I think this is a problem in our day and time that today uh, people don't realize that God means what He says when He gives us His Word. God means what He says when we read every verse of this, of, of, of this Bible. See, God does love His people. Let's, let's never forget that. God does love His people, but He demands righteousness from them. Now, I'm not, I don't want you to get too far ahead of me here and, and start wondering what I'm saying. Just pick close attention. God loves His people, but He demands righteousness from them. Otherwise, they must face His judgment. True righteousness and justice must be executed on earth. And the people had to heed this truth and repent and correct their behavior before the day of judgment came. Now, when the day of judgment came... It would be too late. That's why it tells us there uh, in that last verse that we read there in verse 20 uh, that in the last days you'll understand it perfectly, but it'll be too late. Well, let, let me tell you this. Many years later, 
Many years later, Jesus would say, square in the face of the Pharisees, who he would later call whitewashed tombs and call them hypocrites. This is what he said to them. For I say to you, this is Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, by the way, he's actually speaking to the people that have gathered around him. There, Matthew's 5-7, uh, Sermon on the, uh, the Mount. But, the, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're there. But so square in their, in their faith, this is what he's saying to the people. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But the Lord wasn't joking with what he was saying to them. Because you see, the righteousness that he demanded was not merely external. The scribes and the Pharisees had a lot of external righteousness. But the righteousness that God demanded was not external. It was a true inner righteousness based on faith in God's Word. And that is why later on, Paul would write in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and following, But now, he says, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned, Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Notice, His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there it is. It isn't our righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness. And it is us accepting that truth. And as Paul said to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. So getting back to the false prophets. God's wrath was going to fall on the unrepentant and the wicked. And when it did, it would be like a whirlwind swirling down on their heads. Again, if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. What's more, God's judgment would not cease until he fully accomplished his purpose. In this case, Judah, what was left of Judah, what would be left of Judah, would be taken into Babylonian captivity captivity for 70 years. We'll get to that in chapter 29, a few times before. So in the latter days, as I said, this would be understood even more perfectly, but for many that would be too late. Let's not let it get too late with us. You hear the word, but I wonder how many of you are listening. You have to listen. Verse 21. God says, I have not sent these prophets. Yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. 
They couldn't wait to start falsely prophesying. They thought that they were blessed by God. Verse 22, But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil of their doings. If they had just stood in my counsel, if they would have just listened to me, this is why they will receive the greater judgment of the priests and prophets of all of Israel, north and south. Because they saw what happened in Israel. But Judah and its leaders did not heed this. The kings did not heed it. I mentioned last time, that the, well, two weeks ago, that the, the four last kings were all evil kings. All related to Josiah, the, the good king. The shepherds, the kings were wicked. The priests and the prophets profane. But had they stood in my counsel, what is God saying? They never stood in my counsel. They never heard my word. They never listened to what I said. If they had, and had caused my people to hear my words, if they had just turned around and said, people, this is what God is saying, then they would have turned from their wicked way, or their evil way, and from their evil of their doings. But notice what God ends here, at least in this section, verses 23 and 24. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? Says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Says the Lord. I find it interesting, if not quite disturbing, how false prophets run to and fro promoting their lies, leading people into wickedness, while a true prophet of God will lead his people toward a holy life, a righteousness that is not found in them, but imputed to them by Jesus Christ. Because all other righteousnesses is like, are like filthy rags. It is wickedness, and it certainly leads people away from the truth. I'd like for you to go to that section there in, in Isaiah 64, where it talks about righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Because I want you to see what is said after that. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness says. Notice, it doesn't just say our righteousness. All our righteousness says are like filthy rags. You know what I, I think that, that this represents in, in many cases is what some people even in the church today think they're doing for their own salvation. You know, doing good, you know, good works and good deeds and trying to pile up or pile up all these good deeds on one side because they know that they're, you know, they, they're sinners and, and, and they'll do some wicked things, but they want their good deeds to outweigh their wicked deeds. And God is saying, all of those righteousnesses that you think are going to impress me, they don't impress me. They're filthy rags. May I be very blunt. Your righteousnesses are like menstrual cloths. Exactly what he means. Something unclean. Your righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And then he says, We all fade as a leaf, 
And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, listen to this. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. And all we are, the work of your hand. Had the people only surrendered to who God was. But you see, people didn't know who God was. They were never given a clear picture of who God was. That is why I read what I read to you about the Reverend, whatever her name was, Catherine Hancock Ragsdale. The Reverend Ragsdale has misled thousands of people into thinking that God doesn't care about life. That He only cares about your present pleasure and sexuality. So lastly, then, the Lord God of Israel needed to be known. Because the Lord God of Israel was not some sort of local deity like the pagan idols were. He was a transcendent God, high above all His creation, a God that was omniscient and omnipresent. In other words, He was a God who was uh, all-knowing and a God that was ever-present. All-knowing and all-present. That's what omniscience and omnipresence is. He reigns above all things and fills heaven and earth. Neither was He blind like the pagan gods, unable to see the sins of the people, because they listened to the false prophets. The people believed lies about God. And may I say to you, what we believe about God determines how we live. What we believe about God determines how we live. You see, you can't hide from Him. He sees all you're doing and He knows what you're going to do even before you do it. You can't hide from God that way. And for some reason they all, the prophets, the priests, the people, they developed the mentality that God was far off. And he was not actively involved in people's lives. That is just plain wrong. Our God is actively involved in our lives, isn't he? How many of you believe that? All right, you can say amen. Can you say amen loud? All right, see, I'm, I'm glad you could. I'm, you know, because I, I would shout that. God is actively involved in our lives. There are times, you know, when we go astray that He brings us back, we know He's actively involved in our lives. Lord, you don't have to be so, you know. When you, when you receive that conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart because you're not where you're supposed to be, you know God's actively involved in your life. Be thankful is not condemnation, it's just conviction. And be thankful for Romans 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you've got to be in Christ Jesus, folks. You've got to be in Christ. He cares that much for us. And all He asks us, all He asks of us, is to love Him in obedience, to love Him in holiness and in righteousness. It comes down to us believing in Him. Believing in Him. Simply believing and trusting in the Lord. But in Judah, that was not the case. They had no fear of God. And because of that, they refused to see His coming judgment because of their wickedness. What we see today is the same attitude. Who is this God that darkens our, heart, our desires and the dictates of our own hearts? Why should we read an outdated book that is old-fashioned and besides was written by man anyway? We will fashion Christianity the way we want it, dress it up in worldly style, change its whole appearance to the world. Besides, truth is what we make it, right? Isn't that pretty much the way people are doing with, with, with the Word of God and, and, you know, in some liberal churches today? We'll fix it up. We'll make it what, it's, what it ought to say. We're in a postmodern generation now, so, you know, so let's, you know, let's throw out the baby and the bathwater. Let's throw out everything. I want you to hear the words of Jesus, and we're going to close right now. These are all sections of things that Jesus said in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You could have done all that on the outside, but inside, all you did was practice lawlessness. A similar passage in Luke 6, 46, just this one verse, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And of course, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? So why is it, why is it that we have people today who want to, you know, sit down with, with the Dalai Lama and, a, and, and you know, some uh, Muslim uh, imam and, and some, you know, agnostic and atheist and uh, and, and, and converse with them and say, you know, we have a lot of things in common. I'm speaking of uh, one particular person that's involved in the emerging church movement. Rob Bell is his name. So I'm on, what do they call that, YouTube thing. You know, and there he is with the Dalai Lama. And, they, and this guy's supposedly a representative for Christianity and saying, oh, listen, we, you know, we, we believe so much just like you. Folks, he just denied the Lord. 
but died for his sins. But he'll be the first to say, oh, listen, we have to rethink Christianity. Really? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's nothing here to rethink. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me leave you with the, the words of Jesus in Revelation 22, verses 12 through 17, that ought to, and I hopefully wake somebody up here. And behold, Jesus said, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Wow. When I read that after reading about our Reverend Ragsdale, I could only feel, Lord God, have mercy and save this person. Because she has just about covered that whole verse of verse 15. Outsider dogs, sorcerers, and sexually immoral, murderers, and idolaters. And whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him, hear, and let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever desires, whosoever will, Jesus said, come. Come to Jesus. He is still relevant. He is more relevant today than he's ever been. And he's always been relevant and he's always been right and he's always been righteous and we need to know him but we need to know him not what the world says about him or the apostate church what they say about him we need to know Jesus, that Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. This is why I tell you, folks, oftentimes it may sound like a joke, but, you know, those people who got the right reverend and the doctor this and the doctor that in front and behind their names and in every which way, but they say, well, I don't really believe in the resurrection. I tell you, they went to cemetery, not to seminary. 
Because all you get there is dead, dead, and false theology. Here's our, life, here's our living seminary. It's God's Word. Let's stay in it. And let's be right in God's Word. Let's pray.